Well, it's my privilege to be here today, and we're going to talk about training your children to, to succeed, really, and training your children to handle money. It doesn't really matter whether you're here today and you don't have children and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't even have kids, because we want to talk about the opportunity to succeed at what God created you to do, to succeed at what God created you to do, and raise the next generation to take it back. I do want to give you hope. There is a generation out there of 20-somethings. We hosted a dinner at Sheridan House for 20-somethings, oh, I guess that's about a year ago, and brought, brought in and we selected uh, quite a few couples and individuals to be there for this. I was blown away at their level of sacrifice, and they're all in. Here's what I know. God created each of us to do something specifically. He created each of us for the life. He, well, he wove you together, it says in Psalm 139, in your mother's womb. He knows the plans he has for you. All the things in your life work together for good. <clears throat> He knows. The problem is we get derailed. Remember in Joshua chapter 1 where God said to Joshua, everywhere you go I know ahead of time I'm going to give you everywhere you put your feet. Only don't veer to the right or to the left. Only don't be afraid or discouraged. In other words, just trust me. Just trust me. We have to raise a generation to take it back. In fact, we have to raise a generation that knows what they're doing. We have to raise a generation that goes out there and doesn't miss the plan God has. If you're a note-taker, we're going to look at some things today. One of them is Proverbs 22, where it says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. He will not turn from it. The problem is we're sending children out with no training. We're not really sure what to do with today's child. So we subcontract them out, and mom becomes an air traffic controller, dropping them off to all the subcontractors. Right school, right sports, right this, right that. And we wonder why, for three generations now, we've basically perpetuated adolescence. So we've raised now a country that actually believes I deserve a break today. We've raised a country now that believes it's all about me and me only, and the rest of you need to get out of the way, rather than, wow, there's something we need to be doing here, and I'm created specifically to do it. So number one on our outline, the job of the parent is to train the child to become a competent adult. The job of parenting is to not perpetuate adolescence by indulging our kids to death. The job is to raise a child who can actually go out there, leave adolescence, and do the things he needs to do now. So the first question we've got to ask ourselves, okay, what is it? I'm not quite sure, Bob. What is it that an adult needs to know how to do? Well, number two on your outline, there are some logical things. Adults need to know how to be married, and they know how to be employed. Adults need to be marriageable. I need to go out, and to be marriageable, life cannot be all about me. We are in a culture that believes that marriage is something you get to do. You get to do marriage. You get the privilege of, no, you, you actually have to do marriage if you're married. It's something I have to give up me for. And one of the problems in marriage, which is hilarious, is you felt you were compatible before you got married, and then you got married. And you cannot believe who you married after you got married. You married your exact opposite. Morning people marry night people. On time people marry late people. Spenders marry savers. Organized people marry disasters. It's absolutely hilarious. And you think it's God doing something to get even with you for what you did when you were 16 or whatever. He's completing you to become, the process of become one flesh, putting two very different people together. And even financially, there's great conflict in, in a couple. So I, I've got to before God, be prepared to give myself up for the marriage. Let me say that again. I've got to be prepared to give myself up. And here's the hard part, especially the husbands. 
have to be prepared to do that. That's scriptural, where God says in Ephesians, Husbands, I, I only want you to love your wives this much, as much as I love the church and gave myself up for her. Whoa. Whoa, I, I mean, I'd like to erase that one from Ephesians. I like the submission one. I just want to erase the sacrificial one. Employable. I need to raise an employable child. And we know this. this. Listen to this great research. I don't know how they do this kind of research, but there was a research project that came out of the United States Senate as we crossed the millennium. And it said, children who are in fourth grade today, the year 2000, 60% of those children will grow up to do jobs that don't yet exist. Let me say that again. 60% of the children that were in fourth grade the year 2000 will grow up to do jobs that don't yet exist. I don't think we believe that until you back up, especially if you're my age. If you would have told me I would have a phone in my pocket today, I would thank you for nodding your head because you and I are the only ones in the room to get this right here. And I don't understand how you get it. But if you were, if you were to tell me that, I would ask, how big are my pockets going to be? Because the phones I used were 25-pound black phones that did a motion to, to, to make a phone call. 90% of this room has never done that ever in their life on a phone. And yet it's changed radically. And speaking at a corporate the other day, I saw the glasses phone that they say America's not ready for. And the glasses phone, let me tell you, it's nothing but these right here with this little wire right here. And you're talking to make the phone call. And you're saying on, off, at, right there, nothing. No one can tell you have a phone at all. Yeah, and you're salivating to have that phone. It's hilarious. Yeah, so am I going to raise a child who's responsible enough to go out and be able to handle all this? Or am I going to be raising a child who's responsible enough not to buy it the minute it comes out? Yeah, I've got to raise a child to succeed. So how do I do that? Well, there are two basic things to succeed at what God has for you. That's number three on your outline. To succeed at the plan God has for each of us, we must first, letter A, have the correct philosophy of life. I've got to have the correct philosophy of life. And then letter B, the personal discipline to follow my philosophy of life. Philosophy of life is what makes you tick. Your philosophy of life is the pole you come back to for every decision. Should I go to that party, not go to that party? Should I buy this, not buy this? Should I do this, not do this? Should I click on this, not click on this? If your philosophy of life is, if it feels good, do it. If your philosophy of life is, get to Friday. If your philosophy of life is, I can't wait to get my paycheck so I can buy something. If that's your philosophy of life, experiential, well, you're in trouble. I want to raise a generation that goes out. Their philosophy of life is, Christ made me. He must have the plan for me. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it because he knows the plans he has for me. I don't want to miss it. So to give them that philosophy of life, but that's only half. The other half is the discipline to follow that philosophy of life. It's one thing to know what you ought to do or not do, but it's the other thing. It's the other thing. So I have an absolute bar none addiction to French fries. I don't know what it is with me and French fries. It's brutal. It's why I couldn't button this coat this morning when it was cold and I put this on. And we were in a store over on Pines Boulevard right next to Five Guys. Yes, thank you for that pain right there. And it was beckoning me in the store. And, and Rosemary, my wife, I'm married to this beautiful, absolutely brilliant, led me to Christ on a college campus when she wouldn't go out with me. And I was shocked when she wouldn't go out with me to tell you, who doesn't want some of this? Wow. And, and she refused to go out with me. And eventually I just asked her after 11 weeks of asking her out. I'm very focused type A. 
And, uh, and finally she led me to Christ, and she's dying laughing as I'm trying not to go into, but, so we went into five guys. I mean, you know, just this one more time. I want to raise a child that has the discipline to do what God wants him to do. King David couldn't handle success. And so King David becomes king and moves into Jerusalem. And the hint is, King David allowed them to rename the city the city of David. Oh, David. Someone should have said, David, what are you doing, man? This is the city of God. And it's just one little lean to your own understanding and lean to your own desires. And then it was a short leap between from there to this man, King David, looking around and realizing, you know, the pagan kings, they have multiple wives. I know the Bible says I shouldn't do that. But... They have multiple wives, and, and it would be good for my people if I have multiple. It would look like we're a real kingdom if I... And so all of a sudden, he's got four wives, 200 concubines, and walks out on the veranda one late afternoon and clicks on a website called Bathsheba. <laughs> he knew in here he didn't have the discipline. Now, on the flip side of that, our, hero, our family hero in the Old Testament is Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50. And Joseph gets sold into slavery from a dysfunctional family. And let me help you, there are, there are no functional families. We're all dysfunctional. So we can stop blaming our families. We all come from dysfunction. And Joseph gets sold into slavery and works for Potiphar, who's probably a retired uh, general. And he's back uh, working for Pharaoh, guarding, guarding Pharaoh, handling the, uh, the prison and everything. And he's probably given, we believe he's given a young, young trophy wife, and so, and we don't know her name, so we'll call her Hotifer. And Hotifer is chasing Joseph all around the whole time, trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. And Joseph says, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? No wives, no dates, no nothing. It didn't matter. I know God's got a plan for me. Eleven years as a slave, two and a half years plus as a prisoner, I know God has a plan for me. He never caved into that. He had the discipline. It's not just philosophy of life. I have also got to help my children have the discipline, practice the discipline to do the things they need to do. Now, today, we're going to look at finances and helping my child and us deal with finances. But there are many, many, many maturities. See, your philosophy of life is the axle on the wheel of your life. It's what everything revolves around. The discipline is the rim of that wheel to hold it all together. But the spokes... Well, those are the things that everybody needs to go out the door either learning how to do or you'll catch up later on. One of them is sexual maturity. I need to be raised with a sexual maturity, an understanding of who I am sexually and what I'm supposed to do with it. I need to be raised with a social maturity that I do not conform, Romans 12, to the pattern of this world or the pattern of my peers, that I can walk and train to walk out of a bad party or a bad date. We need to raise a generation to do that. Time management. Maturity of time management, the maturity of intellectual maturity so that the newscasters don't make the decisions for me. So that people I see and I consider maybe a celebrity are not the people who form my opinions, that I'm taught how to form my opinions by that axle, by that philosophy of life. And regardless of everyone around me disagreeing with me, I have that rim called discipline to hold fast to my personal opinion. Now, in America, unfortunately, number four, the American culture actually believes that gold will bring them more happiness than God. I'm, uh, I, have a, I have an awesome privilege here in South Florida. I get to be an interim uh, pastor. I'm on my 20th church right now for anywhere from a year uh, to Christ the Rock, three years, uh, a church in Palm Beach, three years. And, and I'm the guy when you bring me in as your interim, it'll make you get a real pastor quickly uh, to get rid of me. And I was up in Palm Beach for almost three years as an interim pastor. I saw the most astounding thing. I saw the wealthiest people in America come to church, have chauffeurs drop them off, 
And they were miserable. They were absolutely miserable. There was never enough. There was just never enough. They validated for me Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. They were absolutely miserable people driving all the way down to Broward County to meet with me in my office because life wasn't working for them. Yet many of them had a jet in Palm Beach, actually over in West Palm Beach, and a jet, and their other jet was up either in the Hamptons or over in uh, Connecticut. See, from our perspective, we would think, yeah, I hear you, Bob, but I could, I could handle that. Yeah, I, I mean, I know the statistics on the lottery, Bob, that you have a significantly higher propensity for divorce if you win the lottery. But I, 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 I can handle that. You know, God must know what we can and can't handle. But he wants us to be responsible for what he has given us. Our Lord has given us the way to train anything. He's given us the plan to train anything. There are four E's in the training process that we see Jesus using. And the four E's in the training process, letter A, is example. Example. He has given us an example for how to live. And it says it in the passage there. It says in John 13, 15. It's a great passage because in John 13, 15, he says to them right after the foot washing, I've given you an example. And we know it wasn't an example for the foot washing. or We do a foot washing every service. It was an example of how we lived. I came, I put on skin, Creator God put on skin to come and give you an example as to how to live. Now, that wasn't the primary reason He came. The primary reason He came was to be the Passover lamb, to take our place on the cross so I could live forever with Him and live to the potential I was created to live here on this planet. But then He did another thing. He exposed them. He kept them with Him. Okay, it's not just an example. I'm going to let you participate in handling ministry. And one of the great hilarious moments, when we get to heaven, we're going to have screens in heaven that will probably be IMAX screens. They'll be awesome. And we'll be in the big heaven church, and we get to see actually how it happens. And you're going to see him see the disciples feeding the 5,000. Now, they're blown away anyway because it's one lunch, and Jesus says, have them sit in little groups, and I'm going to give you each baskets, and you're going to go around and feed the 5,000. And I know they never looked in the basket. I know they're feeding people and saying, this isn't going to work. We're so going to run out of food. This is unbelievable. And there's 12 baskets left over. He let them, by exposing them, learn, you can trust me. You absolutely can trust me. But then he cut them loose. Let her see. He let them experience. The only way I learn is you've got to cut me loose. And there's a great passage in Mark 6, 7. It says, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Can you see the look on their face? I want you to go, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to go uh, two by two. I'm not going with you, and you two are going to cast out evil spirits. Say what? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, he's letting them experience the power and majesty of him in them. If you trust me. If you trust me. And he sends them out. Now, inside that experience is the way to hand off the lessons to your children. There are three things that, that, are the, that, that spell the word ice. Anything I want my children to learn to do, I have to instruct them. I have to instruct them. Then the word C in ice, I have to let them know what the consequence is if they fail. 
But here's the hard part. The E in ice is I need to give them the opportunity to fail. I need to let them exercise decision-making. That's where we drop the ball in this culture today. I don't let you practice. I don't let you get out there. I'm terrified as a parent to permit you the opportunity to fail. Let me give you a non-financial picture of that. One of them is the science project at school. Science projects are hilarious at school because we're never sure whose science project it is. It's probably the outward manifestation of mom's self-esteem science project. And we actually believe that the science project is about getting the science project done as if any kid is going to go out the door and be a professional papier-mâché volcano maker for the rest of his life. But we think it must be the science project. And so what happens is you told your child last year, I hope you know if you put this science project off, you're on your own. I'm never doing this for you again. Except it's Friday and the science project's due on Monday and your child comes home and says, Mom, I'm, 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 I'm behind on my science project. I, what have you done? Well, I haven't really done anything. It's the nightmare weekend. And on this nightmare weekend, all of a sudden, uh, it's Mom. Dads have learned not to have to be involved in these things. Uh, so Promise Keepers gave us a course on staying out of science projects. And so all of a sudden, there it is, and there's what's happening. And, and mom and child are in tears Saturday, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Mom just says, just, we're done. Just go to bed. No, Mom, it's not done. Just go to bed. And the child goes to bed, comes to breakfast the next morning, and there it is, done, mounted, four different font sizes, and printed out. It's absolutely hilarious. And this is a science project for a fifth grader on nuclear energy. Um, the kid can't even zip up his pants, but he's done a science project on nuclear energy. What happens here? is he has learned. I don't have to. He's missed the lesson of failure. Success is an experience, but failure is a trainer. Let me say that again. It's real important. Success, ah, that's an experience. It's a fun experience. Failure is the teacher. Failure is what teaches you. How do I back up and redo that right? So I'm finishing up my doctorate. And there's 18 of us in the program. These people are so smart, they're killing me, the other, the other 17. But about $240,000 worth of course fees in seven years that I stretch longer. And it comes to the science project time. It comes to the research and dissertation. And because mom didn't show up, only two of the 18 of us ever finished that I know of. They missed. We postponed failure till it really mattered. Give them the instruction. Let them know what the consequence is for anything you want to teach. Personal responsibility or unacceptable behavior or handling money. And then get out of the way. I want to raise a decision maker. Let them exercise decision making. The process of trying to decide. Because it seems painful to the 6, 7, 15, 16 year old child. But you know what? It's not compared to the 20 to 30 year old. Some of the lessons many of us had to learn in our 20s and are still trying to pay back to deal with, we should have learned when we were children. So the time now is to decide for me and for anyone I'm responsible for. A friend came up, one of the, one of the co-workers at Sheridan House, he's 40 years old, and he asked me a question the other day. He said, yeah, can I just ask you a question while we're getting coffee? How is it? that you own a home in North Carolina and a home here in South Florida. I know what you make. It's on the 990 on the Sheridan House website. I mean, you really don't make any more than I do much. How is it that you, you have two homes? And I said, well, 
Brian, let me ask you a question. Uh, that pen you have, and he pulled out his pen. It was in his pocket, and it has a little mountaintop on the top of his pen. And I said, uh, you use that pen, and I use this pen. I buy this by the box for $7 for 12 You bought that for how much? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, probably $80, $90, $100 for that nice pen with the mountaintop. I said, my pen draws lines, circles, dots. Show me what your pen does more than this. Oh, but you like carrying it and you like showing people you have it. We just made longer-term decisions than that when we bought our house with a 29-year mortgage. We decided to do everything we could to pay it off in 12. And we just took our extra money every month and put it on a mortgage payment, put it on a mortgage payment, and put it on the mortgage payment, and decided to pay off the cars and drive cars with no mortgage payments and then make without with no car payments and then make car payments to ourselves so we could buy the next one differently. And yes, we didn't go do a lot of things everybody else did. Everybody, it seemed, it seemed, went out to, out to lunch after church. For years, we didn't do that because of paying off the mortgage payment. So that we reached a point where we paid off the mortgage payment. Then we could have another mortgage for an investment piece of property, which is a beautiful home in North Carolina. Because it appreciates and a car doesn't. So Brian, have it now or really have it later? It's better to have it later, man. I'm a believer that people hit when they hit 50 ought to go in the ministry. But you have to have your money lined up. So at Sheridan House, we have an in-house attorney. We have a CPA. We have a guy who was a vice president of an advertising company in Miami. We have a guy who just, just started with us, who came to Christ 17 years ago and decided his goal after coming to Christ was to go to Bible college while he was the president of a, of a little company. And he went to Bible college while he was the president of a little company, downscaled his house, sold his boat and his Harley, and started at Sheridan House January 1st, taking a 70% pay cut. He got ready. He told me Friday at our staff meeting, he said, I just want you to know, it's just been almost three weeks. This is the best time I've ever had. He said, I used to work 10 hours a day. I'm working 12 hours a day. and You've got to almost make me go home. What happens is we were raised to do something, and we end up working for money rather than using our money for God and getting to do what we've dreamed of doing because the marketers own us. If you think the marketers won't own your children, there will be no mail by the time your children are your age. They will walk in the house, and when they walk in the house, because of a chip in their wallet or watch, when they walk in that house, the big flat screen on the wall will come on with their mail and ask whether they want the catalog mail or the bills. And as the bills are coming up, they will say, pay that, pay that, pay that, and you'll talk to the screen. Then the catalogs come up. And it'll be predisposed to what you like and the colors you like and your size. And it'll have somebody there, maybe even you if you program, you will be personally wearing those clothes and what you look like in it. Oh, yeah. And all you have to do is say, ship it, ship it, ship it. Our kids need to be ready to bring it on or we'll be in even worse shape financially. This takes training. So the four E's for teaching financial maturity... Letter A, your example. What's my example? I've got to set an example personally. What's my example here? How am I letting my kids see 
how I function here? How am I letting my kids see? You know, Roby saying when he was my, my youngest when he was in high school, Dad, can we afford to go skiing? And I said, well, I don't know that's the question. And he said, what do you mean? I think the question is, is that the way we want to use money at the end of the year? We could take the ski money and pay further down on whatever, the car payment, and take the other half and really bless a single mom. Find, find a single mom at church and bless her. And Roby being Roby continued, and he said, but, but that wasn't the question I asked, can we afford to go skiing? And I said, probably not, but that's not what we'd want to do anyway. Oh, we've got a great opportunity to give it up, to absolutely give it up. Your example, do they see you impulse by? You know, Dad, were you the first one to have a flat screen? Because having a television with a back on it irritated you. You know, this television has a back on it. I, I, I just know it has a back. Even though I look at it straight ahead, I know there's a back on it. And it just destroys my viewing pleasure knowing there's a back on that television. You know, that's not a statement on televisions. That's a statement on us. Do I have to be the first rather than wait until they don't cost so much? And I'll stay away from ladies' shoes and move on to letter B. Yeah, my wife has a couple friends in here, and I don't want this getting out of this room, so I have to be careful. Expose them with an allowance. An allowance means I need to allow them the opportunity to practice handling money. Expose them with an allowance. Personally, I did not connect an allowance to chores. You do chores because you live here, eat here, and sleep here. Chores are no option. You absolutely do chores. You go nowhere. Life stops till the chores are done because I'm raising a responsible individual that's not an individual. This person is part of a family unit, and we all participate in what we do here. But I want to give you the opportunity. I want to allow you the opportunity to handle money, plus the fact you go to school every day for six or seven hours a day, and you bring home more office work than I bring home. So let's just call the allowance your somewhat your pay. And I started them, and you can start them any way you want. It doesn't matter how much you start them with. They're going to spend it all anyway. I started them with the privilege at, at, at uh, kindergarten or first grade, wherever you want, with handling ten dimes. I gave them ten dimes, and I gave them ten dimes so they could learn how to tithe because learning how to tithe, they came to Christ as an adult. Learning how to tithe, tithe was a nightmare for me. And I wanted to go right to the penny until a friend said, you know, i got to tell you, tithing is the bare minimum, which just was physically painful to hear that. You've got to continue to add. Giving 10%, that's not what it's all about. He owns it all. So I started him with 10 dimes to teach my children the process of a lesson America has forgotten. It is more blessed to give than receive. We've been so marketed to believe it's more blessed to get than give. You've got to be kidding. I love getting. Give me stuff. But three or four generations ago, when your barn burned down and we were all in the same neighborhood, we all went over there and built your barn. We had a party. People brought food. It was awesome to, redo, to rebuild your barn. And when we were walking away and my son says to me, you know, he's a hog farmer. We're a hog farmer. We rebuilt his barn. Isn't he a competitor in the hog farm world? Not really. Not today. It's more blessed to give. Robert, didn't you have a great time doing that? Yeah, I did. That was fun, Dad, doing something like that that you didn't get paid for because you were compelled to do it. I want to give them an allowance, and then I want to get out of the way. Now, you can have some no things, things they can't, toys they can't buy. And if you have two children, and this is one of the challenges of being a parent, if you have two children, you have two very different children, and no one prepared you for that. One of your children is a pleaser. They're awesome. They're a pleaser. And they pretty much do what you tell them to do for a while anyway. And if you tell your pleaser, don't come up here and touch this little screen, and your pleaser doesn't. 
They want to, but they don't. And, then, and if your first child is your pleaser, you are convinced you're a parenting expert and you ought to write a book. How hard is this? And that's God setting you up for your second child. Because your second child's your barbarian. Your barbarian is awesome. Your barbarian didn't even want to touch that screen until they heard the word, don't touch that screen. And when they heard the word, don't touch that screen, when they hear the word, no, there's a synaptic disorder in there that they actually hear the word, go. I don't know why they hear that, and they've got to touch that screen for some reason. So putting all that together, when you have a no toy, that'll be the toy your barbarian wants every time, every time, every time. And you've got to make your no mean no. If your no doesn't mean no, you'll have no relationship with your child. But I want them to go through the suffering of handling their money. So we gave them an allowance, started them. Take my son, for instance, started him in kindergarten with ten dimes. And you find those ten dimes in little trucks and places till he realizes that's an exchange commodity for things you want. So Rosemary goes to the grocery store, says to Roby, come on, Robin, bring your wallet. I'm not buying you all those little things in the little machines as we go out anymore. You now have your money. You can choose. And he turns his dimes into quarters comes out to those little globes that have silly bands and globs and all these other things, including football helmets. Whoa, and he got locked down on those football helmets. And every single Saturday he would come out with three football helmets, three quarters, three football helmets. After he tied, three football helmets every single Saturday. It was awesome. And if it was a Jets helmet, I threw it in the garbage, however. So every Saturday. That's kind of sad that that's the only applause I got here today, but that, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. I can live with that. I'm tempted to pray for the game, but I won't right now. So end of the day, I'm sitting on his bed. He's looking past me at a bookshelf. They are lined in his little room with these football helmets. And he says to me, looking at his helmets, helmets are stupid, aren't they, Daddy? And I said, well, I don't have any, but it's your money. It's your money. Why didn't you stop me? It's your money. See, the pain a little 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, 13, 14-year-old goes through is nothing compared to a life of pain of bondage because I don't know how to say no to myself. I haven't practiced the E. I haven't practiced the, just the pain of saying no to myself. I haven't experienced decision-making. Leaders can make decisions. And let me say, every single child needs to be raised to be a leader. Leadership is not a temperament. Life is not followers and leaders. No, let me say, some people, unfortunately, have been trained to be followers. It's sad. We need to train leaders. Not managers who manage people. Leaders who serve people to get it on so that everybody wants to follow them. I want to raise that generation. I want to raise a generation that takes it back. Give them an allowance. But then let her see. Let them experience making their own financial decisions. Let them experience that. And then jump in. Jump into this plan. So twice a year, everything they saved, we matched. I didn't make them have a savings account. Everything they saved, we matched. First week of December and beginning of the summer before we went on vacation. Everything you've saved, we will match. That's your vacation money. That's the money you take with you to spend. Obviously, I'm going to take care of you, but when we go on places where I get gas and you walk by 90,000 toys and candy and whatever, your money. So he's six or seven years old, and he saved $27. So I've got this child with $54 in his Toy Story wallet or wherever it was back then, and it's killing him. It's killing him having that much paper in his wallet. 
And so we get, we're up in North Carolina, and I know we've got to go to a, we've got to go to an outlet, and I know the outlet. It's the Blowing Rock outlet that has this massive outlet toy store. And my wife, Rosemary, who's awesome, she's very, very brilliant, 4.0 all through graduate school. I don't care to share my GPA in graduate school with anybody, and, and, but very sensitive. Oh, Bob, I don't know. I, we have to do this. We have to do this. So we go to the Blowing Rock Toy Store outlet, and Roby's in there, and it's, it's awesome. He spends every penny in 10 minutes. All these different toys. And you have to decide what's a yes toy and a no toy. He bought weapons. And he bought a, this awesome battery-powered water gun Uzi with a backpack that carries water. It was so cool for $21.90. I went in and bought one for myself. I thought he loved this thing. And he walks out, and his nagging sister's following around behind him saying, you know, Daddy's not going to give you any more money. You can't spend all your money. This is all I want. So he comes out with all his toys, spent everything, and I know in the next couple of days we've got to go back and give him the opportunity to feel all gone is all gone. And we go back, and Rosemary can't even look at this scene, and I don't go into stores. I get myself a Dunkin' Donut and a USA Today. I'm sitting on a bench, and Roby's all of a sudden sitting with his little legs dangling, drinking his soda. I got him a soda, and he's saying to me, it's not fun to be here when you don't have any money. And I could have been a momentary hero and said, all right, here's 20 bucks. sad thing is I don't even have 20 bucks here, but here's 20 bucks. Here's 20 bucks. Nah. I wanted to train him up so that today he's out of graduate school in his 20s and in his second home because he manages money. And today he's able to do that on a pastor's salary. I don't want my kids to be in bondage to money. I want them to do the things they were called to do rather than the things they have to do to pay their bills. We've got to raise a generation to bring it back. Now, let me help you. There is a generation of 20-somethings that are ready, and they're absolutely doing it, and they're blasting it, and they're sacrificing, and they're taking in foster kids, and they're adopting, and they're giving at an incredible level, and they get it. I don't want them to go through the pain I had to learn to do that. When I came to Christ as an adult, and this man told me that I needed to give 10, that really the call is to start your giving process at a benchmark of 10%, I thought he was kidding. And then when I realized that's just the beginning, God owns it all anyway, and got challenged to give a half a percent a year on top of that and keep adding a half percent so God could use me. And then the great temptation came my way. In 1982, I came out with my first book, and they published it in November. When you publish a book in November, it's a strong indicator that the publisher doesn't believe it's going to do anything of value. You, the big books you think are going to happen, uh, you bring out in April or May because they're right out before the booksellers' convention, and they give you a kiosk uh, at the booksellers' convention, which I've never had for some reason. I didn't get my own kiosk, which is, just kind of bugs me a little bit, but that's okay. And so the book came out in November, and the publisher from Chicago, Tyndall House, calls, and he says, uh, hey, the end of the year check, uh, what do you want us to do with this money? Who do you want us to send it to? And I'm kind of thinking me, um, making about what a teach school, public school teacher makes, me, bring it on to me. And uh, he's, I said, but I didn't say that. I said, well, what were you thinking I should do with it? He said, well, Ken Taylor here and some of these other guys, they give their book money to a ministry. 
And we kind of thought since you were actually in the ministry uh, at Sheridan House, you'd want to give it to Sheridan House. And I said, how much is it? And he said, a little over $500. And I said, do it. It was painful to do that with $500, but do it. Just do it. Let's do it. And so we did it, and they gave the money to Sheridan House. And I, and I said, that's what we're going to do. Let's do this. And so the next year in February, Swindoll picked the book up and ran it for a month, and Dobson picked it up uh, later on that year and ran it for a week. And it blasted out into seven different languages, and I'm kind of amazed watching this thing go on. It's buzz around me. And I get a call at the end of the year, and they said, uh, are we still doing the same thing with the book money? And I said, uh, um, yeah, um, how much is it this year? And they said a little over $100,000. Thank you for that pain over there or somewhere over there. And uh, I said, oh, huh. Um, can, I, can I get back with you tomorrow? And I go home and I say to Rosemary, let me talk to you about the book money. And she says, why? I thought we made the decision to give it to Sheridan House. I said, yeah, but things have changed. And she says, how many zeros? How many zeros? And I knew it was God putting that right out there. Son, when have I not taken care of you? And ironically, we made the decision to do it, and it's at a million three today. It would have stayed at 500 if I kept it. The books have nothing to do with the books. The books were the big test of Bobby Barnes. Let's see, son. Gold, God. Gold, God. I got you so covered. I own it all. You just got to get control of it, son. And then you got to raise a generation that's got control of it. The amazing thing in my life is I was such a moron in high school. Number 644 in a class of 1,200 that my best friend from high school up north in Washington, D.C. Googled me two years ago, called and said, if this is the Bob Barnes that graduated from Walt Whitman High School, could he call me back? And the lady at the desk at Sheridan House said, it is. That's where I just have him call me back. He couldn't believe I was doing anything of value at all. And then Barry caught a plane from Washington to here. What happened? Bob, what happened to you? Sat there at Chili's saying, I'd like to make it complicated for you, man. It was all Jesus. Deciding to trust him with everything. And you know my background. I grew up in a materialist's home where money made the world go round. And I had to give that up. And I had to raise a generation to get it for the glory of God. It's time for us to decide God is really God. And it's time for us to decide that personally. And he really does know the plans he has for you. And then it's time for us to get out of debt. And it's time for us to raise a generation that doesn't go into debt. And then it's time for us to say, I'm available now, Lord. I'm out of debt. Where do you really want to use me on this planet? I want to change lives for your glory. It's time. Number seven. Either your children will be taught to handle their money or their money will handle them when they're adults. Their money will handle them when they're adults. And for the type A's in here that are very concerned that they didn't get letter D, because I'm seeing people perspire out there, which is very sad, encourage them. 
encourage them. The God in America that hasn't worked out is God with the letter L added, gold. We need to live differently than the rest of this culture. We need to raise a generation that's, that actually gets it is better to give. It's so much more fun to give than receive. And then we need to show them all that glittery stuff that impresses other people. It's still just a car. It still just has four wheels. It's not an outward manifestation of my security, self-esteem, or the badge of my success. It's just a car. It's just a pen. It's just a watch. It's just a purse. It's all it is to carry stuff. And Father, use us for your glory. And we'll praise your name and say thank you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you do have an incredibly awesome, unbelievable plan for each of us. That you wove us together and it says you watched over our development in our mother's womb. In the intimacy of that as you were putting us together to do something. The plan you have for us, the plan you have for us, for your glory and honor. Lord, help us do that today. And get up tomorrow and do it again. And you've told us to get a focus of the day. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day the Lord has made. And to do that today and trust you. And then trust you with all our heart tomorrow. And help us do it in a way where those that are watching, the little eyes that are watching, the next generation will get it. For your glory and for your honor, we'll be doing this. Amen.